Hey, this is Jeremy Hahn, writer of The Red Mother from Boom Studios. I'm here with Spoiler Country. It's time to enter the spoilerverse via our secret portal of the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick and Jeff. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on spoilerverse.com. But... If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Citizens of the Republic of Spoiler Rush, welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Ken and That's Mr. Horsley. And today... Day on the show. Well, it's Jeremy Hahn, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. He was on for our Emerald City Comic Con episode back when that was shut down by COVID. Yeah, and he was. We were lucky enough to have him come back and talk with Jeff about uh, everything Hahn. Yeah, and he's got a, a new series coming out of Boom Studios. Yep. And uh, him and him and Jeff have a good time, kind of going over it, right? Yeah, they talk about uh, their, his, Red, his Red Mother series. They talk about a lot of his other stuff. They talk about the Han Con that he did where he did like a little virtual convention. And the Han so Con, much, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so much more stuff. The guy's an amazing artist and a, and a great writer, and, and he was a lot of fun to listen to. I, I wasn't cool. on it, but I listened to it as I was editing, and it was, it was, it's a lot of fun. Cool. Well, let's sit back and listen to uh, the Han in his own words. Hi, this is Spoiler Country, and today we're talking with Jeremy Hahn. How's it going, Jeremy? Good, thanks. Welcome back. We appreciate you stopping by to talk with us during the Emerald City Comic Con um, episode. Yeah, yeah, that was a great time. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. So how, how have things been since the last time we talked to you? I mean, weird. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, definitely coronavirus has changed things quite a bit since then, but how about specifically for you? I mean, it's been interesting, you know, since, since all this, you know, has happened, we, we've had a lot of readjusting that we've done in, in the industry. A lot of projects have kind of been put on hold, you know, hopefully temporarily uh, while we try to figure everything out. Now, one of the most interesting things I, you were doing right after we actually had the interview last time was that you were doing Hong Kong. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, so how did that go? Tell me about how it went, what happened. It went really well. I did it on Facebook Live, which I'm getting ready to do another one. And I'm kind of trying to figure out exactly how I'm going to handle that. If I'm going to do it on Facebook Live again. Yeah. If I'm going to go with more um, of a YouTube Live element. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. But it was great. I, I really enjoyed the interaction. I think it it kind of was early in all of this, I think we were still yeah. very, very unsure. If I recall correctly, I did that the week that I would have been in Seattle. And I, I'm not sure if Planet Comic Con in Kansas City 
had been canceled yet, but yeah. if not, it was, you know, just right, you know, right in there. It was, you know, it, it was a great time because it really allowed me to talk with fans and connect with people and, and talk a little bit about my feelings about what was going on, some of the uncertainty that, that was going on with it, yeah. but also just, just to like sit down and like, you know, chat with people, answer some questions, have fun, draw some stuff. I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I, if, if, my, if memory serves, because it, it feels like forever ago that uh, we had that interview. It felt like the world has shifted so greatly that it does feel like another era happened, you know, when we talked last time. And I, I think I was still actually um, going to work. I'm a teacher, so I think I was still going to the classroom at that time. And I don't think I... I was considering that we would be in a complete lockdown. So right. yeah, that it, it was a complete, it's been a, a, a title shift. Like, and, and I don't think any of us really imagined. Well, it, I think that, you know, kind of like you said, it, it feels like it, it was longer than a few weeks ago. It, it seems like it's been months, but you know, we are trying to figure out how to adjust. And I think that's been one of the, the, you know, I've talked with a lot of friends about this, this feeling of, of, almost loss you know yeah. like, like we, we are we are in a lot of ways we are mourning and we're we're it's a lot of that is is just simply the day-to-day -day life these things that we've worked so hard for so long to you know to to just have like you know being able to go out and and you know get a coffee, cup of coffee with a friend you know I, I, there for a little while there seemed to be this this really kind of i don't know we're we're a hilarious human bunch of humans on 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 social media but like you know yeah. it was like it was like the the introverts versus you know the the extroverts and how oh you know we we introverts have been doing this forever but i, I think yeah. that that now it's even hit that point where like that's just not funny anymore and we realize even as introverts this is really affecting us too yeah i mean i, I will admit just um yesterday i was talking to my wife i'm, I'm definitely an introvert if you had asked me two months ago, well, not two months ago, because this is still some sort of reality, but let's say this time last year, and you had said, hey, you're going to have to, you get to stay home from work, you're home all the time, there's no pressure to ever go out, how does that feel? I would have been like, you know, that sounds like my dream. But just yesterday, I was talking to my wife, I was like, you know what, I really just want to go out somewhere, take a drive somewhere, mm -hmm. just to be somewhere different, just feel like you're living your life again. And yeah. you start realizing that prior, maybe you really weren't because while you were enjoying being in the house, it, it the reality of it hit you that, well, you still at least had that safety net of knowing you could leave when you wanted to and go somewhere. But now that's gone as well. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, it's been it's been really strange as a creative because I think that we we are, you know, absolutely doing the best we can. And I think that there is a reason reality to it where it's like you know sure the 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 projects that we're doing you know may have hit the pause button for a little while it may be yeah a bit before we get the chance to do some of this stuff again but we can still make things yeah and and there's no there's no real you know i i am fortunate that that the red mother is continuing that we're able to continue doing that I'm still definitely writing on that project and, and, and Danny is, is drawing it. So we're fortunate there, but you know, a lot of my art projects, especially ones that, that were, that were projects that were, you know, that were, that were the major source of my income. 
you know, kind of have stopped for a bit. And it's been a lot of just sitting there figuring out what I want to be and who I want to be. There's there's a thing that that sort of, you know, we're we're very very fortunate to be making things and and in this industry, I'm grateful. It's a lot of hard work, and we've put a lot of work into it, but. The ability to make things as a job is a fantastic one. And even with that, one of the things that that we've kind of dealt with, or I, I personally have dealt with lately, is I, I felt like we've needed to take a real look at this industry and what I was doing in it and what I was making in it and what I wanted from it. Okay. You know, and it's hard in this industry to hit the pause button to to say, I want to take a little bit of time and and look at, you know, do I want to be telling long form stories now? Do I want to be telling five issues here and five issues there? Do I want to be working for Marvel and DC or do I want to continue doing creator own? And there's a lot of questions that you end up asking yourself and you, you think about your audience. Often I think about my audience, you know, first which is, is good, but I think that sometimes yeah. I, need to, I need to think about, you know, what I want and need out of it. Now, did you come to any realizations on that part that you can discuss, or is it well, still you, kind of in the baking phase? Well, I mean, some of it's still in the baking phase, but but I think that it's it's nearly impossible to be able to do that on your own, right? Like, like yeah. if you're sitting there day in and day out needing to write and draw, you know, I, I you know, the, the demands of the job often, you know, you're working seven days a week and you're working, you know eight, 10, 12, 14 hours a day. Yeah. That, that gets, that gets pretty, pretty intense. From, from a creative standpoint, I, part of, I'm sure the process of writing and art as well for you that you probably had to live with is the idea of, you know, hitting your deadlines and your deadlines. Now that there's seems to have less urgency to it. Does is that affecting you creatively at all? Yes. Yeah. I think it definitely is. I, I think that I'm still fortunate enough to have some things to do and some things to work on. I just turned in the cover to Red Mother number nine, which which I was running a bit late on because of all of this. But, <laughs> but you know, I had projects that literally I was working on. I, I had finished and was scanning and was getting notifications that like, you know, that no pencils down. We're not we're not doing this right now. Yeah, which was really hard, but. It, what this has done has it has allowed me to really look at what I'm doing and how I'm doing it, and I, it's I don't know. It's to your question about about you know have I figured out anything? I I know that I'm very grateful right now for the ability to write so much. Yeah, um, th- that's been a huge thing. I'm I'm writing two series right now. I think I had talked about both of them before, but you know the Red Mother. And then a new thing that I'm doing with my my good pal Chris Minton. That one hasn't been announced yet, so I, I really can't go too far into it. But fair enough. But I'm working on both of those right now. And then I've got another thing that that I'm going to start drawing on. That kind of I was very very fortunate that you know when I was told hey we need to we need to stop on these other things, somebody you know somebody came in and said hey what about helping us with this for a bit. Mm. And so it's, again, something that's too early to talk about too much, but I am starting something else that I'm going to be drawing for a little while. Oh, congrats. Um, 
Yeah, thank you. In the in the midst of it, though, there's this there's this gap. There's this, and and really, I mean, we're talking about probably into May before I get to start on this next thing. Uh, I mean, I guess that hopefully is. Uh, I mean, it might be optimistic, but I, I hope you're right that it's at least May. And and I will totally uh, agree. I mean, I must admit, psychologically, I find myself in a weird gray area between feeling that something's impending or that could be impending in any moment, such as the coronavirus, or especially if you find yourself contagious, and a weird sense of pause where everything is on hold at this point in your world. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a weird balance to be in that you feel, on the on the one hand, this sense of you know impending alert that you need to be on at all times, but on the other hand, you're sitting just waiting for your light to, to go back again. And and I think that's that's really kind of the crux of it. We're we're you know I know a lot of people that are like, well, I don't really want to start anything new because what happens if if in you know May or June these books start back up? What if you know what if what if Diamond decides that they're going to do this? You know how it's a lot of uncertainty, and you don't want to you don't want to start on something and then have you know you know, have to go back to the other thing. I think it's more important right now to do what you need to do to be okay. You know, yeah. for, for me, one of the things that I really sat down, I, I, you know, I made that list. I, I said, okay, I'm going to continue writing on the Red Mother and this thing with, with Chris. I'm developing a couple other, like, projects. I've just been kind of sitting down with notebooks and, and, and writing in those and figuring out what I want to do on those. Yeah, but then a lot of what I've been doing is just saying, you know, like I kind of want to work on some short stories for a while. Short stories are fun. We don't get enough of those. Yeah. So I sat down and I wrote, I wrote a little three-page short story, and I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I don't have anything else. I, I say I don't have anything else. I, I have a backlog of commissions that I've been working on. Yeah, you know, of course, but and I'm trying to get through those. You know, it's still that thing where those are those are very specific and they take a certain amount of time. And because it's been a backlog of them, I found myself doing more and more on them. They're all bigger than they were before and gotcha. more complex. And you know, they end up almost being like covers. Well, but, that's extremely um, nice of you. Uh, you know, people have been patient and they've been awesome. And and I, you know, I I'm grateful. I, I you know, this. Again, this is this is it's such a weird time, man. It's 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 just figuring out how to how to try and be okay. You know, we're all having to shift and we're all having to adjust. And you know, I, I I'm finding myself in a place where whereas I could sit down and draw for eight hours or or more before, now I'm I'm sitting down and realizing that like you know I can. I can draw for a couple hours and then I have to yeah. get up and I have to like, you know, do things. And I, and I think that, you know, especially when you start, you know, I, I'm fortunate. I live in a pretty big sized house. So nobody, you know, we're not tripping over each other or anything like that. Yeah. But, but still, you know, having, having your own space, having your own time, being able to kind of, you know, you, you can't necessarily like, you know, go out to dinner or anything like that. So it's like figuring out how to replicate some of those things to make it okay is, is the tricky part. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I 
Definitely agree. I mean, for me, I think the two seismic seismic moments from a I would say maybe a comic book fan uh, standpoint, since you know I'm obviously while I write, I don't I'm definitely not a professional. Was the shutting down of the first convention, which was for me it was Emerald City Comic Con that I knew of, mm-hmm. and the second one was obviously when Diamond shut their doors, and that's when it, the reality did hit you that nothing is the same at this point anymore. You know, mm-hmm. I think as long as new comic books were coming out, there was a sense of normalcy to it all. That you know, I mean, at least for, I mean from a comic book nerd standpoint, I mean it's probably selfish to look at it from that perspective, but there was sort of normalcy to knowing on Wednesdays you had this thing. Right, you, know, you got your comic books, it, your routine continued. And there was something about that. Then once the doors shut and that stopped completely, there definitely was a, a holy crap moment. You know, this is, you know, my world is a little bit different, you know, it's totally different. And that means this sort of, I mean, obviously other people have a much more important shift in their lives. But I think from a combo collector standpoint, that's when I started noticing, you know, in my head that everything is different now. Right. Because comic books were always that normal thing. That was your routine every week. Right, right, yeah. You, you, you go on on your Wednesday. You go pick up the thing. You know, it's it. That's how it is. I, I, it, like I said, it's been it's been a huge change. It's been a huge change for everyone. I think that we we had an opportunity. We have an opportunity right now to really, you know, take this time and and figure out what we want the next steps to be, what we want our industry to look like. I, I, I think that more than ever, we need to look at ways to support one another and work together. There, there's sometimes there's, a, there's this rift that exists where it's like you have publishers over here and then you have creators over here and, and our distribution giant right here and then retailers, and then fans, and and I think that there's been some unhealthy practices in this industry. I think that all of us have have done things that have contributed to to not not necess- not to this thing. This is this is a symptom of of you know a pandemic, something we can't control. But I think that yeah. I think that that if you look at at the industry on the whole and where things are. We we were building to something anyway, and 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 things were really changing, and and I think that you know we are in a position right now where we're we're literally saying, you know, you know, our comic shops going to to you know, are, are these comic shops going to survive? God, I hope so. You know, I really, yeah. you know, can this can this industry survive? You know, we're gonna. I I hope that we don't lose certain publishers. You know. Uh, and it, it, I'm saying no. I, I agree on that. I mean, it is it's a weird situation where, to the you know, there's a lot of talk about the idea of being you know the the big two and the the corporate entity of those comic book companies. But at the same time, I guess realistically, those are the two that will survive because of who owns them. Obviously, AT and T and Disney, mm-hmm. and they do have to exist as a pillar to keep the other store comic book stores potentially open. But the ones in the middle, you know, your Boom Studios, Zenoscope, Dark Horse, I mean, they're, they, they have to be looking at the red signs right now and, and worrying about it. I think they do. And I think that, that I mean, uh, you know, especially having, having so many friends close in Boom right now, you know, I, I know that, that, you know, Philip Sablik and, and, you know, the, 
the the entire crew of there are having a lot of conversations about what needs to be done and how they can they they can look at the long game aspect of this you know i think that it's easy to be reactive i think it's very very easy to look at things and say you know holy crap we're having to hit the pause button on this entire industry yeah you know we we have to you know we're not going to be able to come back from this and i get that feeling and i understand where that comes from but i think that more than ever it becomes our job to say okay well when we come back we're going to work together we're going to figure out some solutions for the big problems and we're going to build a better more cohesive comics industry yeah i i'm gonna say what boom did recently with signing on to netflix that's gotta be one hell of a life preserver for them right now and for all their creatives yeah, I mean, I, I think it's. I think potentially it's a fantastic thing. I think it is a fantastic thing. I think that you know, we. I believe that the majority of creators, and, and, and speaking for myself and every everyone that I know, you know, sometimes there's this thing where it's like, oh, you know, you're just trying to sell this stuff for for media, and and I, I feel like that that. I know more creatives that just care about making good comic books. And if we can actually have something else happen with them in other media, that's icing on the cake that keeps us, you know, you know, I I think that there's, I think there's some real concern over, you know, I, I, I know, I know that I know a lot of people that are making comics and working other jobs. I know a lot of creators, creators that, are having to do more work than they probably should in order to make ends meet. This is this is not an industry filled with, you know. I mean, uh, you know, I I wish that it was the '90s. You know, yeah. uh, as far as the <laughs> amount of money we are making, you know, I wish yeah. that I wish that we were all, you know, raking in those image crew bucks, you know, or the yeah. or or the residuals from you know some of those, you know. 90s event comics and stuff like that i I wish that that was still something we got you know we're we're doing the best we can and and some people do better than others some people i mean you know there's i I know several creatives that that are you know master tacticians about their careers and always make really really educated choices i also know a lot of us kind of just want to make stuff and and sometimes pick a project because we love the idea of it and then we have that project going longer than maybe we should because we love it. Yeah. You know, but but we're doing what we can. And I feel like I feel like that we need to make sure that when we come back from this this industry is sustainable. I think there's a lot of instances where Everybody knows that this there is only so much money to go around and so many chances and so many things, and we're all reaching for this pile and not always thinking about the, the people next to us or the people – I don't want to use above us or below us because I think that's a crap term. I don't, I don't want to indicate that creatives yeah, yeah. are more important than fans or shoppers. You know, but, like, but like, I, I think that like, we're, let's just say – let's just keep saying we're not, we're not looking at the at, at, at the person next to us so, and so what is so what, what is the solution i think we have to burn it all down 
I'm kidding. Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> I was uh, like, well, that, no. that, that's a scoop. <laughs> no. Uh, Jeremy Hahn, burn it all yeah, down. Just, just burn it all down. No. I, I think that we're going to really have to take a look at how how many books are being put out, the way that they're being put out. I think that we are going to have to to really, really support our retail partners in a way that, that maybe even we haven't before. I think that we're going to have to, to ask ourselves as creatives, you know, is, is this the book for right now? You know, I don't know that we're going to have instances for a little while where we're able to put out six and seven books from a single creator at a time. And I think maybe even that's a good thing. I think yeah. that, 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 you know, I, I would love, I, I would love to see us working together and trying to be a little bit healthier, you know, as an industry. I think that right. I, I have a lot of artist friends and, and this is something I run into myself where in order to get the books out on time, which is very important, yeah. but also so that we can actually finally get paid, which is important because we all have families and, and we need to eat, pay our bills. Yeah. We are, we are overworking ourselves to the point of, of doom. Uh, you know, our backs, you know, we're all having back problems and neck problems. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we've got to figure out a way to, to work healthier as creatives mental health physical health those those things are incredibly important you know I, I know that right now we kind of have the opportunity to really look at these things i mean you know i you know i i hadn't had enough time in my day to do you know to do yoga in over a year or to go for walks the way i need to yeah. And, and, you know, I'm doing that right now. I'm also eating way too much, which is kind of ridiculous, but, but, yeah. you know, that's, 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 a that's part that's, of the course at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. We're just having to do what we can. You I, know? I, I will admit, um, teaching from home and, um, doing my writing more, um, from home, I'm a muncher when I'm thinking mm-hmm. I'm munching, you know, and I shouldn't, I have diabetes. I can't be just eating, but it's hard. <laughs> I've got food yeah. right there and I'm thinking I need to munch. And, you know, I don't have the, you know, back in the day, you know, when I was at work, I'm at my desk. I can't just drive home for snack foods. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I would definitely say that uh, this has not been good for my diet <laughs> or probably anybody else's. Well, and, and yeah, I mean, it's well, I think that also, you know, when you're stressed out, when you when you don't, you know, you're you're trying to figure out what to do, you know, you, like all all we can get, you know, I, I, I have been making a lot of bread lately. I've been making sourdough bread. I was yeah. kind of want. I was kind of wanted to do it. I, I love, I love, I love cooking. I love making cocktails. You know, baking. I, I, I've baked, but I never was like, I'm gonna really drill down and figure this thing out. And I was like, wait a minute, I have, I have some time right now. I'm gonna do yeah. this, and and I made a lot of bread. I've also eaten a lot of bread. There's, there's <laughs> that line from uh, Scott Pilgrim where it's like, you know, it's. Uh, Bread makes you fat, and he's like, "Bread makes you fat." Yeah, bread makes bread makes you fat, and I have been, I've been maybe indulging a bit too much. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know how that goes. But speaking of, 
adapting as an artist. We're going back just a little bit. You're talking about we talked about you doing Hancon, and I must admit, your kind of cyber convention was actually one of the first ones I have seen or first ones I saw during the, uh, the beginning of the pandemic that tried the cyber convention. Mm-hmm. So, what did you learn from it that's going to help you on your neckline? Do you think that's something that is going to become more common even after this pandemic's over? More kind of individual cyber convention instead of going to the, the larger conventions or appearing I mean, at them? I, I, I think so. I think to some degree. I think that, uh, you know, I can't, I can't begin to really even guess at what any of this is going to be like. You know, yeah. you've got, you've got, you've got a certain individual who keeps insisting that we need to open the country tomorrow. We've got, yeah. you know, we've got incredibly in, informed pandemic experts looking at things and saying that it could be four months. It could be six months. We might have to yep. do some adjustment for, for, for over a year. You know, yep. we don't, we don't know. I don't know what this looks like. I, I think that right now the biggest and most important thing that we can do is, is connect is, is work together. My audience, you know, uh, I, I, I post, I post stuff. I've always posted stuff nearly every day, you know, on, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and stuff like that. But I was always so busy with my day-to-day work that I don't feel like it necessarily always had the personal tone because I, you know, I, I was literally having to be like, Hey, I drew this today. Boom. There it is. Kind of, yeah, thing. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm watching, you know, watching this movie. But like I, I feel like that now more than ever, our relationship with the peop- with with fans and with shops and anybody you know like, like with with doing doing these podcasts, talking to you, it's it's so important because it, it allows us to have some kind of connection, and we're not just firing these things into the dark. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, early on in my comics career, I, I, I always felt like, and I'm talking back at the very, very beginning, when I was just making stories and, and you know, nobody was reading them, we were just kind of figuring stuff out. I was, I was doing stuff, and I, I kept saying that I was, you know, firing arrows into the dark because it was just these, these things. I was making them, and, and there wasn't an audience. I, I didn't know if anybody was reading them or anybody cared, you know, any of that. And, and now that's out that that's available, but like, you know, my, you know, we, we are now in April. I think, I think maybe so it's, it's a week from Wednesday, I believe was when issue one of, of final witness was supposed to hit the stands. My, my valiant book. Yeah, you know, issue five of of the Red Mother should be out right now. You know, these these things, you you have that interaction, you have that conversation, and and we can't, you know, you're not getting books from us, you know, you're not yeah. getting things. So how can we interact? How can we, you know, talk and show you things and show you know that, that's you know I. I one of the things that I did that was really important to me was I had done a Patreon for, for quite some time, almost a year, that was comics and cocktails. And it was basically these these recipe comics where I, you know, about every other week or sometimes, depending on my schedule, you know, more, 
yeah. between them. I would I would do a recipe comic, and I would show you like this is how I make an old fashioned, and then it would be a <laughs> hands down view me drawing my you know hands yeah. and putting the cherry in, putting the the, <laughs> the bourbon in, and and I would do these, and I and it was a lot of fun. But I realized whenever this happened that I needed to retool my my Patreon to make it more about the comics. Like I, I needed yeah. more comics and comics and cocktails. You know, I'd always kind of held back because I was like, Oh, I kind of want it to just be about this recipe comic book that I'm slowly building. Yeah. But, but now it's very much a thing where it's, it's more about me making sure that you're getting something from me, that you're getting some kind of personal connection. If yeah. you, if you, if you get on my Patreon, you're getting like longer time lapse videos where you can actually watch me sitting there, kind of, you know, inking a page. I, yeah, you know, I, I do all this inking, and, and I've been running time lapses of it, and it's a lot of fun. I, I, showing like, I started a thing on there that's called Ashcan Theater, and it's literally uh, everything's got a clever name. It's kind of silly, yeah. but but <laughs> but, uh, but like Ashcan Theater is basically I wanted to, like those old Ashcans that we used to get when we were kids. You know, we're like like. Or, or, you know, 30-year-old men, whichever you... But, like, uh, <laughs> but, but like you know, I, I would buy ash cans that were, like, black and white photocopied versions of books. Like, previews often. You'd see, like, before the first issue came out, you got this ash can. Yeah. And so I, you know, with The Realm especially, you know, I drew 15, 15 issues of that book. Yeah. And was incredibly fortunate to have to have um, Nick Filardi as my, my art partner on that book. And, and he's the, the color artist and really he did, did this, these amazing things with it. Well, I wanted to be able to kind of go in and, and show just my black and white artwork, old, old school Ashcan style. So I, in Ashcan theater, I'm releasing an entire issue with each thing just in black and white. And so That's you're really just, cool. seeing, just seeing the line art. And you know it's they're fairly good, good quality JPEGs of, of these things, so you can actually yeah. kind of you know really dive in a little bit and, and look at the look at the pages. And I'm showing you know process things, and I'm showing I'm showing you know like like nice big scans of the commissions that I'm finishing. And and then I, you know, back to the short stories. One of the things that I really wanted to do was step in and say was say okay well I'm going to I'm going to write write and draw some new stories yeah and then make them available on there so you know you can go on and you can you can you know I need to finish a couple of them before I feel comfortable you know diving yeah. in deep but like you know they're they're 3 to 5 pages you know sometimes I mean, two let's say 2 to 5 pages well, that's short cool. Just short stories, and you know, like you know, I, I I tend to love horror stuff, you know, horror kind of kind of weird fiction, kind of just anything I want to do. And for right now, my intention with it is, is I'm going to try to do everything myself. So more than say like more than say, you know, where I would I would write something and somebody else would draw it. I'm I'm just coming in and 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 doing. I'm not really probably going to color them. They're probably going to be black and white, but like I'm going to be writing them and penciling and inking them and doing the lettering on them myself and just kind of putting them out there. That's very cool. I mean, that, I, I look forward to, um, would you um, let me know when that is ready for people to, to view and get on your Patreon for? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now do you, I'm going to in, um, insert you potentially in a, a conversation that I've heard a lot online. You're welcome to opt out, 
But what I've heard is a question of whether or not publishers should go digital. On the one hand, I'm hearing a lot of people say that's not good for the brick and mortar stores, but not producing any comic book can't be good for the freelancers either. And I don't know if there's a compromise or if there's one method that is more beneficial in in the big picture than the other. I don't know what wonder what your thoughts were on that. Man, that's a landmine question. So I mean, like I said, you're welcome to no, opt out. No, 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 it's okay. It's okay. I, I'm fine talking about this because I think that my I'm pretty middle, you know, middle of the ground of the road with with how I'm looking at this. We need we need to take care of of this industry, and we need to work together, and we need to be doing the best we can. I I think that this situation has has prevented everyone from being able to do things the way that they want to do them. And and I I don't want to ever do anything that long-term leaves retailers out. I also think that we have to figure out how to have interaction and share things and be able to have a comics industry, you know, until we can come back and do it. And, and I think that, that when you have a situation where, where you can't get books to retailers, it is on us to figure out ways to help those retailers you know, we, we still have to try to buy things if we can. You know, if people have mail order, we still need to do that. Even if it's just saying, calling in and being like, hey, you know, my, my, I had built up a, a, a too many, you know, too much of a backlog of, of, you know, issues in my box. Can I go ahead and just keep paying down on those? Whatever you can do, we need to do that. Do yeah. I think that creatives should stop? putting stuff out i i don't know that that's that's really fair either i i i i don't i i i would hope that larger entities might really look at comics on the whole um expecting creators to not make digital shorts or various things like that is is you know or figure out ways just to to interact with their audience that that's a bit much and i don't think most i don't think most people are are saying that at all yeah i mean rambly no no i no i I totally understand what you're saying i mean i I can't help but think that as long as i mean if new issues are being produced for um on digital that doesn't mean that the fans won't eventually buy the hard copies when the store has them but same time if you lose your the freelancers can't afford to be in the industry then you, there's going to be not, nothing produced for the stores to survive on in this time. So I do think digital, especially digital, that is not necessarily as maybe something like what you're doing, which is kind of original pieces just for digital. seems like that doesn't hurt those brick and mortars. I mean, I don't think anyone is going to be using digital comic books or reading digital comic books and say, now that I've done this now, I can never go back to the hard copies ever again. I mean, I think if you're a hard copy reader, you're always going to be a hard copy reader. Well, and I, I mean, we want comics back. I mean, that's, right, that's, right, that's right. the truth of it. Like, like, you know, do we need to be making adjustments to the way that this system works? Yeah, we do. We absolutely do. We need to be making it, you know, the margins for retailers are, are heartbreaking. 
to me. Like, like I, I know how hard these people work to try to, you know, to try to get by. I know what they get on, on single issues. I know what they make on trades. It's not enough. Uh, I know yeah. how hard how hard they're working and, and and the risks that they're taking out there. I know I know how how hard and risky it is for creatives to be making things. I know that every yeah. single issue of the realm and of the beauty that I put out there, I know what a risk that was to myself and my entire crew to make those. We, yeah. you know, you can you you can you can take a you can take a hard look a line look at that and say, you know, like oh, you know, people are. Comic creators, you know, sh- should be should be grateful. Yes, we should be grateful. But at the same time, we also need to be able to make a living wage. Everyone in this process needs to be able to survive doing this. And I believe that if we work together and if we make the right choices and if we think like you know there there have been a couple lines drawn in the sand on stuff yeah. where it's like you know this is what we want and this is how it's going to be and. And I get how people can get angry and I get how people can get stressed and scared with this. I understand it, but I also think that we have to think about, and I really hope people can look at comics on the whole, you know, not, not, it's very easy for me to say, you know, this is hard on me right now. I, I, I lost, I lost three months of very, very important income, three months worth of yep. worth of income because of this situation. Yep. I don't, you know, I don't know how to make that back. I don't know how to make it work. I'm doing the best I can trying to, trying to get by. I can look at that for me and, and, and just say, well, this is only affecting me, but this is affecting comics. This is in fact, yeah. you know, this is affecting the entire, you know, Joplin, Missouri, the town that I live in, you know, we there was a lot of conversation on a city level of like when should we shut down? And we were watching, you know, every city everywhere shutting down. You know, Kansas yep. City was like, hey, sorry, you know, we we need to shelter in place. You know, all these cities that were doing it, and and our city, you know, certain individuals were like were like, ah, eh, you know, we we. But 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 the but the businesses and yes the businesses it affects them and it sucks and it's heartbreaking. I have I have you know so many friends that are small business owners, restaurateurs. You know my 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 best friend and writing partner on the beauty, Jason Hurley, runs Hurley's Heroes comic shop. You know I see what this what this effect is. I know how this works. It's hard on us all. Yeah. But if we're only looking at at how it affects us, you know, if if we're only saying, you know, like like this is not a Joplin problem, this yeah. is not a a Missouri problem or a United States problem or or you know, like like this is a global pandemic. We yeah. are all dealing with this, and we will all continue to deal with this until this is done and and we have to make choices and work together and if we don't do that if we don't figure it out if we only think of ourselves in the end there's not going to be anything left over and and i think that there are certain individuals that that don't really care and that breaks my heart you know yeah 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 i mean i mean it it's, it's, it's rough. I mean, just talking about the expense of self-publishing. I mean, 
I, I self-published or self-produced a comic book, very often not at your scale, but a very small scale, that me and my father wrote together called The Nightmare Patrol. And when you talked about paying the artist for the pages and the printing costs and then what would cost potentially to distribute and what the comic book stores need to make to make it worth their while, the profit margins are extremely small unless your print runs are enormous, which for most indie people, your print runs probably, what, 4, 000, between um, 3000 and maybe 8000 I mean, for for a true for a truly absolutely independent book. Oh, 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 truly independent. If it's virtually Vanity Press, your print run is probably closer to about five hundred. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. I mean, and I just did the math. It's like, well, let's say you paid your artist hypothetically for penciling, let's say a hundred bucks a page. Let's say fifty bucks for coloring, lettering, ten twenty bucks for twenty two pages times you know print and the printing cost. You, I mean, your cost, you're you're spending about four thousand dollars. Put this combo together. If you're selling 500 copies at let's say five dollars a copy, the math just isn't there. <laughs> I mean, right, that's right. that's full price. So yeah, I mean, it it it's hard for a lot of people to for. I mean, I can just imagine what it is at you know at, at your level as well. The, the amount of money and that it would it costs to make the, the the risk involved is enormous, especially if that's your only career. I mean, mine is teaching, and this is like a, that was a side gig, but I mean, it's totally different. And I can only imagine when you do something like Red Mother. The amount of investment you have to make in it and, and the amount of faith you have to have in that comic book to make it worth your while. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it is, you know, it is an incredible investment of, of time, money, you know, hope, <laughs> a lot of hope, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, you know, one, one of the biggest factors in, in making comics right now is that the market is pretty good for issue ones of books, you know, like, like you know, whether it's, whether it's a a boom book or an image book, people are willing to try it. They're willing to kind of check it out. And I I think that that's a fantastic thing. I think there's, you know, we have different reasons. Some people are speculating on it. Some people are doing various things, but, but, but the first issue often does pretty well. And then issue two drops off quite, quite a lot, sometimes by half. I mean, if you're selling, if you're selling, you know, 10,000 copies of number one. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're looking at 5,000 copies of number two. Yeah, I, I used to follow um, the website called The Beat, and they used to do a monthly, month by month of every comic book that was made by DC and Marvel, or sometimes Image. And the drop between issues one and two, if they if they considered a success, successful comic book drop was considered 40%. If you had a 40% drop from one to two, you had a hit on your hands. 50% was average, 60% was danger. And and that was I mean and, and that was common for most comic books and forty percent drop is considerable. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Sorry about that. My phone just went weird. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. I thought the second was my phone. I was like, oh, there'll be awkward silence for a little while. <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, no worries, I, no worries. Yeah. So yeah. yeah so, I mean, forty percent is. I mean, that's hard on the the retailers, hard on the publisher. But I, I I mean, from what I can see, it seems like the Red Mother is actually doing quite well. We've been very, very fortunate. You know, I, I, I think that I think that the story has landed. I think that people are excited by it. I think people are hungry for good horror books. And and you know, I I owe a lot to my team. You know, you know, I think that that Danny Luckert is is a an absolutely brilliant talent, and he pours his heart and soul into it. Ed Dukeshire is is a great letterer and he works incredibly hard 
and uh, it's man- manages to uh, make all my 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 nonsense, you know, <laughs> look, look good, fit the page, and you know, I, I've been I've been working with lettering my own stuff on some of these new short stories, and and uh, everybody's like, oh, I can letter, oh, <laughs> and then you try to letter something, and you're like, ah, this this is just sheer insanity it's nearly impossible to make all this stuff you know <laughs> well, I mean, I, I gotta, it's definitely art I and mean, there's art to lettering like there's art to everything i mean it's oh, yeah. design style style um i used to think that lettering only you can only notice lettering when it was bad but i must admit over the more i read comics the more i, I produced my own i noticed no you can definitely see the difference between a good letter and a bad one mm-hmm. definitely yeah and, and there's a reason that 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 so many like there's there's a reason that so many good letterers are lettering, you know, every, like, you know, you, you start to break it down and you're like, wow, you know, there's, there's, you know, 20 letters working in comics. Sometimes that's what it feels like, but it's yeah, because, yeah. you know, it's because these, these, these people are, are sitting there, you know, making things work consistently and it's not always easy. And they're, they're, they're wizards at their jobs. And, but yeah, you know, I, I owe so much of this to, to to my crew they are they are fantastic and then you know i think that that one of the things that may has made a huge difference is that is that boom really got behind this book and really saw the potential for what i was wanting to do and the way that we were handling it the way we wanted to handle it and and rather than you know like like you know I wasn't I never I have never felt like on this book I was I was one book among many 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 gotcha. I felt like I I was I was the thing that they were truly focusing on at the time and they they wanted to showcase it and they wanted to talk about it. And they 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 love and believe in this book. You know, there have been times on the Red Mother where where you know I I didn't you know I I, I second guessed myself. I, I asked you know like you know what what about this and and yeah. and each and every time they always you know they always point you know pointed me in the right direction and said you know like you got you know got to believe in what you're doing. You got this. You know they they were incredibly supportive and that. That means the world to me. Now, for Red Mother, did Boom come to you and say, "Let's make a comic book," or did you shop around Red Mother and Boom, ha- you know, and, and you went to Boom and they were interested? How, how did so? How, how did it come about? It was kind of an interesting situation. I, th- I think it was a bit a bit unique. I have been close with Philip Sablik for ever now. I don't know, fifteen years. Um, for uh, for the listeners, who is he? Philip Sablik is what? Uh, what is his? You know, he's 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 marketing. Uh, I'm going to mess up his title at Boom, but basically, he he's 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 the guy that makes everything happen at Boom. But Good. I've known I've known Philip forever, and Philip was was publisher at at Top Cow years ago, and brought me on to do to do originally a, a book called Berserker with Rick Lovard and Milo and Amelia and and Russ Cundiff. And we did that book together, and then the relationship, you know, my relationship with Philip, you know, we became good friends, and they wanted me to come back and and 
work on the darkness. And so I came back and did that with them for a couple of years. And it, it was just, a, it was a fantastic experience. And Philip was very, was helped me, you know, was very instrumental in me starting the beauty and, and writing more and doing more. And when he made the move to boom, we, we always talked about that thing. We're like, Hey, we should do a book together. There's this line from, from the, the audio commentary from the making of from dust till dawn. I know it's okay. a really ridiculous <laughs> thing, but it was Quentin, Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez sitting down talking about, um, making this thing and kind of how special it was, you know, kind of just, just how, how unique that situation is. And one of the things that, that Tarantino said in that was, he said, you know, when you're, when you're in, in like, high school you know you used to like see your best friends every day you talked on the phone you you hung out you did all these things and then as you get older and get busier and busier you, you don't have excuses to be able to hang out with your friends and so yeah, yeah. if you want to be able to hang out with your friends you have to figure out a way as a creative to work together and i keep thinking about that i'm always like hey you know i've got to figure out a way to work with this person because i want to have an excuse to yeah, go to conventions together to, you know, to do these things. And Philip and I talked about it. We're like, we, you know, we've got to figure out a way to do a book together at Boom. And my schedule is pretty tight. It's always pretty ridiculous. You know, we realized that it probably wasn't going to be probable for me to be able to both write and draw a book, or for me to just draw a book there. And so, and he said, hey, bring in some pitches. Let's talk about this stuff. And a lot of time passed, too much time passed. I mean, we're probably talking about five years or so of, of, Hey, we need to talk about this. Hey, we need to talk about this. And finally they cornered me, Bryce Carlson and, and Philip cornered me at San Diego. And they were like, Hey, you know, like it's time to do this. And we, uh, we ate burritos and, <laughs> and, and talked about what I was going to do. And, and, you know, we had, we had another meeting when I was out in LA we ate cookies. We're always eating something whenever we're talking about this stuff. But but we we I pitched a series of things, and then and it was like I don't know four, four pitches I think three three maybe, but for various things that I've been thinking about doing and and then I had this one that I was really nervous about, and I was like I don't know you know God I don't know you know it's yeah. it's weird it's so <laughs> weird. It's this thing, and and he's like, "Well, oh, come on, are you are you you know like like just just spit it out, just tell us about it." And so I pitched the Red Mother, and yeah. and they they were like really intrigued by it. And then I talked to Bryce about it more, and and he he came back and said, "You know, like I can't stop thinking about this pro- project. That's I can't cool. stop thinking about this book." You know, he's like, "We've we've got to, you know." we've got to examine this. And so we, we talked about it more and figured out a way to make it happen. And this is, you know, this is the result, this crazy, weird, creepy adventure we're on. Well, that's great that uh, to find someone who is a true believer of, of the, of the comic book. I mean, that has to help not only your confidence, but trust in the publisher who's working with you. Absolutely. I mean, it really, you know, like I said, they've they've been they've been champions of this thing. You know, they they believe in what I'm doing. They believe in me as a storyteller, 
I think that sometimes, you know, you run into these situations where, where, you know, I, I don't think that comic books are intentionally always, ex, you know, exclusive, but like, you know, you, you run into situations where like, you know, they hire their crew, right. They bring, they yeah. bring this person in because, you know, like, well, if, you know, of, of course, you know, you know, John Hickman can write the hell out of a book. Of course he can, you know, let's, yeah. let's, let's, you know, and, and I think that that's fantastic, but I think that, that they, they looked at me and said, and they said, you know, he can tell stories, he can do these things. And he's, and, you know, I think that there's a thing sometimes where you're, you're locked into being just one thing, you know, I, you know, it's very easy to go, oh yeah, that dude's an art monkey, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know that he that's that's what he does, but like suddenly having people say nope, he, let's give him a chance to to write a story and write a crazy story, write something that's that is you know like I I, I think that the Red Mother is is truly special in the way that like it asks something of the audience. I I. I'm not stepping in and saying, you know, like, like I'm not stepping in and saying, yeah, this is going to be a a clear path, a, a fast story. This is this is going to be this is going to be me telling a story that takes time and asks something of the audience, and uh, they believe in that. So, for for our listeners, what would be your pitch for the Red Mother? The Red Mother is the story of of Daisy. She's a woman that in one night loses the man she loves and her eye. And after that is left with the trauma of these things that have happened to her life and gets a prosthetic eye that starts seeing red and starts seeing these things coming for her specifically this being the, the red mother and Daisy can see the red mother, but for some reason, somehow the red mother can see her back. Okay. It, it, it must be, I read the first um, four issues and it, it really is a great series. I mean, it's, it's definitely something that feels uh, genuinely different than most of the other comic books I see out there. There's, there's a, there's a, there's a even though it's very weird, the way you write, daisy you give it such a realness to it that it does feel like everything else the weirdness around it is definitely digestible because you have such a grounded real real center i think that it's really important to me i i love writing the character daisy i think that she you know it's it's an examination of of loss i think we've all lost things right we've lost you know family members we've lost friends we've lost you know i mean this is an extreme example but you know she she lost a part of herself you know know, losing an eye is a special kind of trauma it's something that 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 you have to deal with you know her 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 boyfriend they they keep referring to her boyfriend as lost because he just gets taken you know something happens we don't really understand it and and We've all lost things, and and I think that 
the journey to figuring out how to be okay after that kind of loss, we all understand to a degree. And, and I think that, that, you know, my, my favorite kinds of stories are always where, you know, if it's a horror story or a, a, you know, whatever it is, an adventure story, the person that's in that story doesn't set out to be in a horror story. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. Th- this is, this is, this is, you know, you know, if you've you got a story about, about a, uh, a group of kids wanting to have a good time and, you know, make out a little bit in a cabin in the woods, <laughs> like they're not, they're not there to get, you know, eaten by right, something, right. <laughs> you know, they, right, they right. you know, they're there just to have a good time and hang out. And, and that thing, those things, you know, like, like I, I always, I love the idea that like, if you do it right, you could, you could actually continue. It would be, it would be kind of maybe boring, but like, you know, my interest is, is, is in, is in, you know, like, like Daisy healing, Daisy coming to terms with herself, Daisy being okay. Yeah. There also just happens to be these terrifying supernatural forces that are coming for her and aren't going to stop. Now, when it comes to describing what's happening with her eye, I don't know if this reveals too much, if you can phrase it. Do you call it, is the eye possessed? Is the eye programmed? I mean, how how do you describe the effect of of the eye or what's going on with it? Or does it reveal too much of the story? I mean, I, I... I don't really use any of those terms for it. I think that I, there is something about the eye, but there's also just something about her. There, there is something that's changed in her. And through this, you know, I mean, first of all, it's a prosthetic eye. You yeah, don't yeah. see through a, you know, like people get, <laughs> people get a prosthetic eye and they are blind in that eye. That's, you know, that's how it works. You know, she, gets weird headaches and then sees through that eye and everything is red, everything that she sees, you know, and, and, and it intensifies and it's, you know, I, Oh man, I'm going to mess it up. I think it's Charles Bonnet syndrome. There's actually a syndrome. There's a thing in people that lose their sight where they actually experience intense visual hallucinations Okay, that, that, that almost create a, a a sense of sight. It, I, I think probably the best way to explain it is almost like a phantom limb. Oh wow! Okay, I've never uh, heard of your that. Mind, your mind is is trying to extrapolate, you know, and it, and it really it only exists in people that that have had sight. But your mind is like, hey, wait a minute, I you know, I I, I see stuff, and so it tries to tries to make you see it. It's, it's rare, but it, but it happens, and so you know there is this thing that is similar to, and and I think there's that question, you know, like as something is happening, are you, are you seeing it because your mind is doing this? Are you seeing these things? Are these things real? You know, and, and, and she's going through her, her own, her own journey with all of this. And, and I love the idea that, that the things that are coming for her, the thing, you know, the red mother and her, her, her terrible her- herald herald is an h e h you know h e r l that i'm gonna mess it up yeah, yeah. Uh, not 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 
not Harold as an H A R O L D, you know, like like but not Hebrew um, Harold. Yes, yes, exactly. But like, but like, those things are coming for her, and they don't care. They don't care that that she is dealing with grief, that she is dealing with misery. They they really want to, you know, they want what they want. So in in issue four, the the therapist when Daisy's talking to her says that people see visions in moments of stress. So you, what you're saying is the therapist is a lot closer to the truth than it may have seemed in, in the, you know, on, on first glance. Maybe. I mean, you know, she's, uh, I, I think that the therapist is there trying to help, trying to do a thing. And, uh, you know, Daisy's on her own, <laughs> on her own <laughs> wild journey. And, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, I will say this about about the story is that, you know, there is a lot of examination of of, you know, people and how we process grief and things like that. This is also very, very much a supernatural story. <laughs> you know, it, it's in there. It, it goes it goes pretty crazy. You know, I'm I'm I am writing on issue eight right now. Yeah. And. I, I do love when you tell a story that sometimes things should move and change. I think especially a story that's this long form, you know, I, yeah. I, it, it's going to end up being 12 full issues. Okay. And, and, you know, by the time that we get to issue 12, a lot is going to have happened and a lot's going to have changed. And, I think it's important. I think that that's that that makes for a good story. I don't for for some reason I was I was thinking about the story. I mean I might be way off in and my comparison, but it almost felt almost there's a Hitchcocking aspect to it where you start off with the with the everyman or woman in this particular case, and there, there's definitely a question of reliability of of not only the narrator but those around her and their um, genuineness as well. And I don't know if, if you if you in writing it you you saw at all you or you at all were thinking about a Hitchcocking tone. Hitch, I might be pronouncing it Hitchcockian tone, but right. I know I, I, I was, I must admit, I definitely did sense it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I, I think it's impossible at this point in, in storytelling to not be utterly influenced by, by all of the things that we've loved and seen and, and, you know, experienced growing up. You know, I think that, that, you know, you can, you can look at, at, you know, you know, you can look at, stuff from stanley kubrick and see that in there i think that you can see stuff from clive barker and, and you know i think there definitely is some hitchcock stuff where it's it's very much following uh, a very normal person and 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 putting them into an extraordinary you know situation i i, I think i think that a, a lot of the the way that i pace this is is based in in older film, you know, I, I want it to feel like, you know, you know, a, a 1970s supernatural horror film, you know, those sorts of things. You know, yeah. I, I just watched, I watched The Shining with my son just recently. Uh, he's Great he's movie. 15. Yeah. And, and he, 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 you know, really loved it, but I was sitting there the whole time going, movies aren't paced like this now. You know, we, yeah. we, we literally watched <laughs> I think in the same week we watched, you know, like we watched like the new Jumanji movie, and yeah. and, <laughs> Which was fun. and, and I was fun like, movie. Yeah, yeah, no, you, and you, you, we watch a lot of different types of films, but like, you know, 
older films are, are paced differently and you know and, and you and you you really look at them and you say you know like like they they take their time and they let you know the character and then they scare the hell out of you and it's much more intense for it and that's a lot of what i'm trying to you know hoping to go for yeah, I mean, I, I remember. I mean, my father is old, is obviously much older. He's he's almost seventy, so he's into you know watched a lot of the fifties and sixties movies, and he would try to bring me in to watch them with him. And I could recognize why they were great, but yeah, there was such a difference in style and pacing. I mean, the amount of time the director stayed on one shot is is almost mind boggling compared to with today. I mean, today you don't stay on a shot for more than maybe three or four seconds, but in these old movies, you're on that shot for you know, 30 a minute, two minutes, three minutes. And you're, and you're just like, Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, the pacing yeah. felt is so dramatically different. And I mean, obviously it's more of the change. I mean, it almost, if it almost um, like the new movies have engineered the audience to not recognize the old pacing like that anymore, or not, or, or feel a different pacing of, of the old style. Right. And I mean, it's just, it was just very interesting in, in my opinion. One thing I thought was interesting about uh, reading red mother and and I think I could tell in reading it that the writer was an an artist as well. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes you can tell the the visual visual ability of the writer and someone who has definitely has experience such as yourself. And I, mostly because of those red panels, which are incredible. And I have to ask. And the one that I was thinking about with those red panels was, did you think of the type the idea of like the red mother, or was it the visual idea of those red? those strong red panels that kind of inspired you know the the titling and how you worked in the storyline i mean when i write stuff it's it's sort of whole cloth i mean everything kind of fits together you know i i i knew i knew who the red mother was and what she is i knew how how this thing worked how the vision worked and you know i i knew i knew how how i wanted to kind of represent this a little bit you know i i a, a lot of a lot of the way that i develop stories kind of happens pretty quickly and and i'm, I'm very fortunate and i think that most of it is there and, and i kind of have it in my head from the beginning so and, and i think maybe part of that is my my visual background you know i i see moments very very clearly yeah and well, you can tell I, I, you know, I knew that those, you know, that, that like, I mean, you know, I, I, I even, I even think like sound effects sometimes where it's like that, like, <laughs> you know, it's like, dung, you know, like, like a, like an audible disturbing sound yeah. that accompanies the red, you know, that, <laughs> that's cool. You know, and, and, and she, you know, she sees this and, and, and I, I love the idea that, that, that I can, that, you know, Danny masterfully does this, but we can work together to to use that red to really make you understand that like something is wrong, something is coming, something is happening. Yeah, you know, yeah. ev- even even sometimes when she sees it and it's something that's like, oh, this is this is completely you know innocuous. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's 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 often not it's often <laughs> you know something and it's like it's you know it's a it's a 
<laughs> you, you can say that it's like it's horror Spidey sense in a way or whatever it is. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> but you know, I, I I love being able to use that, and I you know I do think visually, and and I and I think that I think it's been very beneficial. I think that the the one of the biggest tricks is really, I while I think visually, it's very very important to me to work with partners that I can trust. It's very important that I allow the artist to be the artist. You know, I. I I try to write as conversationally as possible when it comes to my my scene descriptions, my panels. You know, yeah. I, I just want to, you know, I just kind of want to like like have a conversation about, you know, like what's going on and 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 give enough information so that it ma- you know, so that it's clear and it matters, but not so much information that they're sitting there going, you know, his his right index finger is, you know, bent in, you know, like, I don't, <laughs> right, I don't right, care. Right. Like I want, you know, I, I, as, as an artist, I want you to hire me as an artist because you like what I do, you trust what I do and you're going to let me do my thing. And yeah. I owe that same respect to the people that I work with. No, I, I totally get, have you, have you had a writer who's been that detailed that you're like, holy crap, man, just let me tell you know, I mean, at least give me some freedom to own the story as well. I've been pretty fortunate in my career. I think that that most of the people that I've worked with, you know, whether it's whether it's you know Ray Fox or or Jed Winnick or you know David Hine, really, you know, I, I think that that James Tynion, we worked together on some stuff at DC. You know, I, I, it's all people that. They know what the hell they're doing, you know, and they and yeah, they, yeah. they're obviously having fun with it. I, I really can't think of any one time in my professional career where I felt like somebody was writing to the point where it just kind of made my eyes glaze over. <laughs> uh, you know, I think that any time you get a script, I think there's always like a, a real panic in the beginning. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, how am I gonna, you know, like, yeah, like, yeah. I, you know, I, I get a, I, I get a script, and and typically. I read through it and I freak out because I don't know how I'm going to draw this. <laughs> yeah. And then I, you know, set it down and I, you know, go, you know, I'll go to bed, you know, and, <laughs> or, you know, wake up the next day and I'll read it again. And then I'll take a shower and think about, play it like a movie in my head, you know, and, yeah. and then I begin to understand it by about the third or fourth or fifth time I've read the script and really tried to digest it and, and sitting down thumbnailing it out and everything. I, I, I know what I'm doing. Uh, I feel like part of my goal as a writer is to maybe try to not make people freak out when they read it the first time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure your artists really appreciate, uh, really appreciate that. Yeah. You know, and, and I see, and I see both sides of it. I see, you know, like, like there are times where I'm sitting here writing, you know, I'm like, Oh, you know, this is a, this is a seven panel page or this is what, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, that, that's pretty packed. And there's a lot going into these things. And, I have to like sometimes check myself a little bit because I'm like, I know how I would do this. I know, <laughs> you know, I, I right now this short story that I'm writing or that I'm that I'm drawing that I wrote, you know, the the first couple pages are are six and seven panels, <laughs> and and there's a lot kind of you know this, this guy moving through the city and 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 there's a lot to it and. Sometimes, you know, sometimes 
writer you isn't necessarily doing artist you friend any any (laughs) favors you know um you know and i I, but i try to be harder on myself with that stuff than on my my artists you know it's like i'll be i'll be an absolute jerk to myself sometimes i'm like (laughs) "Eh, let's let's back off on this damn masochist Mm -hmm. (laughs) um one other thing i really thought was interesting on the red mother is the character mr black and the the, one one thing I, i was wondering about is the color reference in the name a coincidence, or is that does that have a deeper meaning to it? I don't know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair How's enough. That is that is that a good answer? Is that a uh, is that, that, that's, that's, that's a perfectly fine answer. To yeah. <laughs> well, the thing I, I thought was funny as well. You make a reference to the realm as an app in your in your comic book. Was that a, um, a reference to your realm comic book, or is that there's going to be another purpose or larger implication to that name? I I did that. <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm so joking right now i'm being sarcastic don't uh, worry about it you can be as sarcastic as you wish no yeah no i mean you know i i've always been a big stephen king fan and yeah. one of the things that i really always enjoyed with king was the interweaving of his stories you know they all sort of connect you know through the gunslinger the the, the dark tower books and and this thing from this story appears over here and people, you know, people refer to Derry and, and Castle Rock, you know, things happen in, in these places and everything kind of fits together. And, yeah. and I like the idea that characters from one story can exist in another iteration in another story and these things, you know, you'll you'll have you'll have themes and various things that play through. There's a lot of this started when I did the Bad Karma project with B. Claymore, Seth Peck, and Alex Grecian. I've been friends with those guys for a long time, and when we did this project, that was a hardcover anthology for for you know what for lack of a better term, but all of the stories kind of connected in there in a weird way through mm-hmm. little themes. And we kind of built this, this thing that, that sort of could connect all of this stuff. And and it's something that, you know, there, there are themes that run th- through a lot of my stories and there are characters and, and little nods and, and things that you start to see again and again, you know, the, Things that that you're going to see from the realm in the Red Mother, and and things that that appear in the next thing that I'm working on, you know, like all of these things sort of fit a little bit. Yeah. Now speaking of the realm, it felt like issue 15 of the realm because I, I must say that's another series I enjoyed, and um, actually I had the pleasure of interviewing you when I think I was writing for Burrowcon, which I, I, I thank you again by the way for that interview as well. Now it felt like the realm. Wasn't I mean it didn't seem to have ended. You're are you still doing more? Going to do more issues of the realm? I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Right now, I have no idea. <laughs> I, okay. I I am I am. Our intention was always to do more of the realm. We we really wanted to. We had to take a break from the realm. You know, the hard fact is, long form comics are are nearly you know they're, they're incredibly hard to do. Yeah, we absolutely support new series we really do as an industry like i said earlier 
you know, we'll come in and buy the hell out of number ones. Number two, it drops off. Number three, it drops off a little more. Yep. By the time that you're through to issue five or whatever the end of that first arc is, you know, you, you've kind of settled into a place. But even that drops off, and steadily, slowly, and steadily, even even books that are very, very strong get to a point where the creative teams are not making a sustainable living doing those books long form. We start to rely on on getting the money from the trades, you know, and but then yeah. that even can be tricky. You know, what if Barnes and Noble decides that they're going to return 70% of their stock sometime? That totally didn't happen, you know, or whatever it is, you know, I mean, it's, you know, you're waiting on a, a massive amount of money to, to pay your crew. And then it's very, very hard. I, you know, we, needed to take a break so that you know I could take a couple gigs that that can help me make some money to feed my family mm-hmm. you know we needed to make sure that that our that that Thomas Maurer you know wasn't having to wait on payments and that 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 you know Nick Filardi wasn't having to wait you know like it gets very very hard and very very stressful so we were taking a break there and then this happened and while I love the idea that we could work on spec for six months on this thing, possibly now, we also have to figure out other ways to take care of the other stuff that we were sort of building to. You know, we still have to figure out how to make that money in the meantime that that we were kind of trying to earn. And and you know, I, I definitely want to do more of the realm. I definitely hope we can see more of it. I Seth and I do regularly talk about it if it's possible we're going to make it happen issue 15 was was definitely a cliffhanger and definitely crazy and and there is so much more to that story that we want to tell uh i hope we can get there now can you guarantee your fans of the realm that one way or another you at least do something to just to wrap it up so they, they do have some closure on the series or is it left open because you do want to come back to it i mean is there like can you guarantee one way or another There'll be something to just wrap it up so there's something. You do know that they were during a pandemic. I could literally get hit by a train tomorrow. I can't guarantee anything. I, yeah, I, you, you know what I'm trying to say. I yeah, hope. I, I, and, and don't, I, don't get hit I, by a train, please. I, 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 there's a lot of trains around. They just come out of nowhere. You don't know how it is. It's Joplin, Missouri is like train town. You step out, <laughs> you might get hit by a train. I mean, I, look, we're, we're going to try. I mean – Ultimately, the biggest, the biggest and most important thing is, is the, you know, we have to be able to take care of, of our families. We want to do more. We, like I said, we plan to do more. We have, we have an idea. You know, one of the things that we really, that we have been looking at is, is the, the truth that like long form, you know, being able to do nearly a monthly comic with something long form like this isn't quite as as sustainable but like the Mignola model where for Hellboy and stuff like that where you yeah, get yeah, yeah, yeah. an arc a year of something and it's it's kick ass and it, and it really does everything that it needs to do and and you know tells a whole story that's the thing that we're that we're really looking at too because I, I think this is this is also more about sustainability and, and truly being able to tell the story the way we want to tell it yeah so you know I, I truly do hope we can get back to it and 
you know, as, as, as much as I, you know, I, I, I feel, you know, it's, it's hard to guarantee anything right now, but, but we're uh, definitely going to try. That's, that's fair enough. I mean, I, I, I would probably guess is that from a, the indie standpoint, it, it does seem to be trend to not do long form, probably for that same exact reason. And I imagine the shorter series are how places like image are going to continue in the future. I, you know, I think that there's a variety. Uh, I think that, I, I think that it just depends a lot on the book. I think it is getting harder and harder for people to tell true long, you know, form stories. I don't know that we're ever going to get another walking dead length book or, you know, Cerebus or any, you know, like any of these yeah. truly long form things that just doesn't, it's, it's not, I, I don't know if it's, if it's, how we work as viewers as as an audience anymore i i don't know what it is but people want long form stories they just don't necessarily you know i i get a lot of people asking you know like like when you know when does the next trade come out or when does the hardcover come up or something yeah and i want i want greedily i want that hardcover <laughs> i yeah. want that trade i you know i want that on my bookshelf i love that stuff i love it yeah, yeah. as much as you do i want i want all of my favorites you know i want i want to uh, have all the bprd hardcovers and i want you know i want you know like uh, like have you, have, you, have, you ever, have you ever seen the absolute salmon editions mm-hmm. those beautiful. are freaking beautiful i mean i have all the, the four volumes not counting the the miniseries ones in, yeah. in my in, you know in my, on my bookshelf and they're beautiful. They're beautiful to open. They're beautiful. I mean, you just the, the artistry, you know? Yeah. No, they're absolutely. And, you know, and I think we all want those things. I think I think that we want to be able to provide you comic books in the way that you want to read them. I mean, look, if if you read stuff digitally, you know, good, good. Please do. If you read stuff only in trades, there's a lot of stuff I read in trades too. You know, if if you, if you only like to read stuff in hardcover. I hope that you get your hardcover. <laughs> that's, that's tricky. <laughs> One of the things that we, we're trying to figure out, and I think that this is a big conversation going on right now across you know, so many creators and, and, and publishers are talking about this because we're having to reset because we're really having to look at things. What is sustainable? You know, if, if I, you know, I have to be able to pay my crew yeah. out of out of single issue money if i can you know like if not everybody's having to wait for accruals twice a year to get paid on trades that's that's becomes a crapshoot and it's harder and harder you know and and if and if i can't pay at a point if i can't pay my artist or my my letter or my colorist and the, you know we're waiting on stuff and it's just this this constant stress cycle that's that's not conducive you know that's we can't we can't continue to make stuff like that and and i think that there's there's an absolute reality to the fact that if the single issues aren't selling well you can't get to the trades and if you can't get to the trades you can't get to the hardcovers yeah and so we got to figure that out we got now, we got some yeah now just out of curiosity obviously everyone knows image is creator owned is boom creator owned or do they handle some amount of the ownership 
expenses of the comic books. I mean, it's 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 still a creator owned prod book, but but boom, boom makes sure that we can provide. You know, like we we work out a system where you know it's it's basically an advanced system. Really, is is the way I would explain it. You know, we we have a way that we issue to issue can can you know get everybody can get everybody some some money and so yeah so the red mother part of boom's deal with netflix does the red mother technically apply to that deal or is it a separate entity from what boom would consider their first look deal with netflix i mean honestly i i have to talk to them a bit more about that and kind of how everything works i know you know that's that's all of their media stuff and they have a great media group that's working on this stuff right now you know like i said most of you know our, our our concern is making good comics and then if they want it like you know if 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 i get those tv dollars i'm going to you know go buy a hat and some <laughs> bourbon probably <laughs> but you know and you know i'm not gonna i i i've had so much stuff in my career happen at this point where you know i'm like i'm gonna have a tv series next month and you know, yeah next season or next year or whatever it is and i haven't yet you know, there's yeah. almost every single thing that I have done is in some form of development, but, you know, you can't hold your breath. Yeah, I, I totally agree. There's, there's a, a mini series that I'm working on called uh, Malik Raining Devil, and I'm very proud of the series. It's first issue just about to hit digital. And someone who I was wor- working with is like, well, we, we, I, I'm, I do computer programming, so I'm going to make it into this like app game and we'll make money that way. And I was like, fantastic. Obviously, it didn't happen. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like at least that's not at the moment. So yeah, I do know what it is for that, that. But it does feel good for the moment when when you hear the news. Right, right, yeah. And, no, it's it's fantastic for a minute. Yeah, and then obviously expectations over time kind of falls off. But you know, you share the story for a little while with people, and you felt big about it. Right, right. <laughs> well, um. Anyways, we've been talking for about an hour and a half, and I really do appreciate it. This has been great, man. I really, I really appreciate it. And uh, you know, hey. I, 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 I think in closing, I, I do. I want to hit on this thing. I know it's okay. a weird time. I know that it's, it's, it's scary and confusing, and we're all trying to figure out how to, how to make it through this. And we're all just hoping that this industry that we love, you know, can be can be as okay as it can be. You know, I I, I encourage people just, you know, do what you can. You know, if you if you're if you're creative, if you're making stuff right now, and you're you're feeling like you're not as productive as as you want to be or as you should be, I'm right there with you. So many of us are. This is affecting everybody. We just have to keep making this stuff and 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 trying and remember to support one another. Remember to get out there and and you know retweet the stuff you love and and share it and and you know talk to creatives you know if if we have the time you know we we love hearing from you you know just do what you can well like i said i would say to our listeners the best thing i mean there's a lot of fear on our the 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 side of the listeners of losing you know our hobby our our passions and i do think you know you're if you're worried about it the best thing you to, to do is to support your favorite creative people because that is how you uh, in, uh, ensure that at least that your little corner of your your dream your, your industry is taken care of absolutely absolutely
So Hans seems like a cool guy. Yeah, he was he was super cool. He is. Uh, I mean, when him he came on for the original episode with with Jeff, he they they talked for like twenty almost thirty minutes, and I was like, damn man, I have to cut this down. And this sucks. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want to cut it down. But then he comes back and they just had a good time. That's cool. Well, Jeremy Han, man, he's a he's he's a cool guy. If you follow him on Twitter, he's he always has he's he's a positive guy and and. Uh, like I said, man, he's just a, he's a great artist. He's, he's done some amazing covers out there before. So. I want to know more about the Hancon. Yeah, the Hancon's cool. He's he's doing he's done a couple of them, and uh, he's, from what I understand, he's going to do another one, which is a virtual convention, and where he does like panels and has people come on and talks about things. It's pretty it's it's pretty cool. That's cool. That's really cool, actually. You know, when it comes to to virtual cons, do you think that's the way of uh, they're going to be they're going to get bigger and bigger? Well, yeah, I think I think virtual cons is going to be kind of like the way way of the future, right? Because it's going to be. I mean, San Diego's doing a virtual con this year. Um, other ones have done it. It's we actually talked about doing a spoiler con virtually to see it, but it's yeah. a lot of work to set it up. It's a lot we, of work. It, it might it might happen sometime someday, just not right right now. Well, because we don't want to do like a hap haphazard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we don't want to do a, ha- a half ass job on on a virtual con. You no, know, no, we want to no. we want to make it special and we want to have it to where it's easy you know what i mean for people to to go from thing to thing to thing to 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 see what it's all about and and really at the end of the day instead of hawking wares we want to have more of the panels where you actually listen to people and uh and and have you know try to have some fun with it have some entertainment out of it yeah and i think i think the the virtual con aspect is going to become a lot bigger even when the world opens up again it's done on fire and uh you know, because adding yeah, that more ways than one, yeah, more ways than one, right? But like, it's it's it, right now you go to a con and you go to a panel. The panels you you know you have to go to the con. You have to go into the panel, and it's like only a certain. I mean, only if you can afford to go to that convention, get hotel rent, flare, get airfare to it, tickets in, and stuff like that. But if they opened up the, a virtual aspect where you could go to some of the panels, you know, you know, from the comfort of your own home, yeah, it opens up those panels, which are really good for a lot of people to be seen by a much wider audience. And you could sit at home and, oh, there's a panel of them talking about, you know, how to break into the comedy business or how to do this. You know, I can, you know, I can go to it virtually versus FNET, you know, fly to San Diego or fly to Atlanta or whatever, New York, whatever, to go to go see it. You can partake in it virtually, which is which would be a whole an old another avenue. I mean, they could even a big con could even, you know, charge a nominal fee to like, hey, you want to be a part of these panels, get the virtual panel package for 40 bucks or whatever, you know, right? And they yeah. to, I wanted to be another revenue stream for conventions, which is, you know, they like money. And two, it'd be a <laughs> way. They like money. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'd be a way for fans who can't make it to. So there are people who just, there, there are people out there who love comic books and love pop culture who will never go to San Diego for various reasons. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Getting a ticket is insanely hard. It's, ex- it's super it's, expensive to go. It's expensive, man. It's yeah. ridiculous. Like, I, when we walked around those things, I look around at all the people there. Sometimes I'm like, how are so many people here? Right. You know what I mean? And, and and not to put too fine a point on it, but it's like when you look at, okay, we got our tickets for free. We got lucky. Yeah. We got super, super lucky. We, I still paid as an individual two grand. Yeah, exactly. It's expensive. After gas, hotel, food, you know what I mean? And everything is overpriced when you get down there because- they got you by the balls. Yeah. You know, and so it's like, you know, and you look around at all these people, you're like, 
how do you even begin to afford to be here? Because uh, I'm struggling. People save their money all year to go to San Diego, man. But I think to the, like the stuff like the Hong Kong and the other virtual cons that happen, that's it's if those proof of concepts work, which I think they are, it, it's going to open up cons for people who can never go to cons, like people in the Midwest or people in the states who just don't have yeah. comic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna bring it to the ma- to the masses, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's kind of cool. And, and Jeremy, even though it's kind of it's kind of weird, he's he's doing it in, a, in its early infancy, which is good because he's yeah. going to be part of something from the beginning and he'll you know all of a sudden he'll, he'll be one of the few people that have experiences on running a virtual con yeah yeah and they'll, they'll, be, they'll be hiring him to run the virtual san diego con the <laughs> virtual new york con <laughs> get ready jeremy yeah. hey guys thanks for joining us thank you to jeremy han for for coming in and participating and and, and letting us uh, well pick his brain for a little bit and thanks yeah. to jeff for 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 interviewing him and thanks hey, to you, guys, you for listening. Yes, thanks to you for <laughs> listening. Hey, guys, if you liked what you heard, uh, please head over to SpoilerVerse.com. Uh, we have a ton of episodes there, uh, all free. And there's a lot of other podcatchers, other podcatchers, other podcasts that are also hosted there at SpoilerVerse.com uh, that all have amazing stuff. Yeah, and we have articles, we have reviews, we've got uh, previews, all the, all the fun stuff over there written by the various writers on the, on the, on the, on the team. And we have a store where you can go up and pick up a t-shirt or a hoodie or a mug or something to show your support for the show or for the network itself in general uh, that helps, you know, pay the bills to keep lights on there and, uh, you know, show your love to us. Yeah. All right. Man, that's a show. That, that That's a show. Yeah, that's, that's a show. So, an ocean's a podcast. We are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind and read more.